nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to a Sunday edition of the Managing Madrid Podcast. I'm your host, Kian Sabani. I'm joined by Matt Wilty today on an earlier edition of the podcast because Real Madrid played at 2 p.m. and not at 10 p.m. So we are here a little bit earlier and we'll try not to be sluggish. We'll not try we'll try not to be groggy from those matinee games. And we're gonna break it all down. We're recording this about 45 minutes after Real Madrid get the job done 4-1 against Mallorca in a continued theme where in the second half the team just takes over and finishes the game much stronger than they started. So, welcome to the mat. <laughs> so far, bad start for the for the idea of not starting sluggish. Welcome to the mat. How you doing? How you doing, Matt? Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> doing well, yeah. This was uh, it was a sluggish start for Real Madrid as well, which we kind of have seen before with these early games, but but it turned out to be a lot of fun uh second half we broke the dam obviously and the goals came flowing uh and our two brazilian boys vinicius and rodrigo what what an exciting duo what i mean it's uh, the world's at their feet i'm so excited to see what they do this season they've already hit the ground running like i'm just it's it's feel good vibes from them for sure nighttime games just hit different don't they i don't like the the sun blasting on the pitch it doesn't feel right. It doesn't. I don't like the ambiance of it. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's start with the starting lineup, Matt. We knew there was going to be rotations. We knew the obvious ones, Rudiger for Militao, who's injured, Hazard for Benzema, who is injured. And beyond that, we just kind of assumed that Kamavinga will get a start here and one of Cruz or Modric would rest. Maybe Chiuameni would start again. Were you surprised to see Ceballos? Yeah, I was actually surprised by the whole midfield configuration. I thought it was interesting to see Cruz as the deep-lying playmaker, um, Valverde come back from the right wing into midfield, and then obviously Ceballos get the nod. Um, I liked it, though. I liked that midfield. I thought it was a good setup for the team we were playing against, Real Mallorca. Um, We knew we were going to have a lot of the ball. We knew that they were probably going to sit in like we saw. Um, and so to have those guys and kind of those technicians in midfield, I thought could work. Um, obviously, there's always a risk in transition, but we really didn't get burned in transition. The only, the only time we got burned was off the set piece. Um, so I thought it worked, and I like Ceballos. I think it's good. He's We know he's the sixth midfielder on the team, but he's an important midfielder. He's got a lot of quality. We saw that last year. And uh, so good on Ancelotti to finally get him the minutes, find a game where he could start. And this is one of the perfect opportunities. And um, yeah, I think, I think Ceballos really played well. Honestly, I could, this might be a hot take, but I, I could see him being a dark horse candidate for the Spain squad. Maybe Luis Enrique decides, you know, you're getting enough minutes at Real Madrid. I've liked what I've seen. Like maybe you, you get a role. I, I support the decision. Um, First of all, I'd ask you, like, when was the last time Ceballos played for Real Madrid and 
played poorly? Seriously, good question. Like uh, he really he's hasn't been played reliable before. the whole yeah. time he's played. Yeah. I really liked his performance today. The the fight and energy. So like you know, we always talked about like um, losing Isco, and obviously you didn't get, you don't have the best version of Isco anymore to to lose that version of Isco that you remember in sixteen seventeen. But like he reminded me a bit of Isco today in the sense that his role was pretty fluid. He would come over to the right quite a bit. Fede would sometimes go to the left side of midfield and he would roam around. He would pass, he would move. He would pass, he would move. Pass, move, pass, move. Like he was very involved. He's very active, a lot of energy and fights through everything. Like 50-50 challenges. He comes away with the ball cleanly and like all of those. Had some really nice touches in this game. The energy was there. Um, I thought he was really good. Uh, Back to like maybe some of the, um, I guess, starting lineup things and maybe just going back to some of the preview stuff we did on the podcast, you know, some games you do a whole scouting report and the game starts and the game finishes and it didn't matter what you scouted because it's just totally different than what you scouted. Like this happens a lot in the Champions League, for example, like you scout a big opponent and the game goes nothing like you predicted would it would go. Um, this one was pretty easy to predict. And I think it went right to a T to a science. When Jose and I did the preview podcast, we discussed this will be... Mallorca is not uh, a team that has a lot of creative midfielders, if any. They rely on uh, Canyon Lee to bind things in transition. They will go into a deep block. Mafeo and Jaime Costa on, at the wingback positions. They'll have a lot of coverage and help to contain Vinicius and Rodrigo and whoever's on the wings. And they'll try to hit you on the counter. And primarily what they'll try to do is try to <laughs> take advantage of Muriki's height and aerial ability no player has won more aerials in the league than Muriki has this season you and I Matt got a glimpse of Muriki for the first time um last season when we were covering Kubo with Mallorca they had just signed Muriki from Lazio and uh he was kind of a failed I guess a failed stint at Lazio from what I understand looking at the numbers I didn't watch him there but he comes to Muriki he comes to Mallorca (laughs) and uh, all of a sudden they have this aerial threat to work with and he can get on the end of basically anything so to hit him in set pieces and corners was basically the game plan and they did it they defended well they took the lead to that exact same route see if they could get a result the burnabout that way they almost snuck it through but they obviously couldn't sustain it and as you said Matt the problem is for them I just like my Rams just always grow stronger in the second half. They make subs, they wear you down, and then they take over. I'm curious to know what you think of the defensive sequence on the Muriki goal. Because to me, when I was looking at that, I would have just put Rudiger to man mark him. He's like the only threat in the box. And you can't really have like Mendy and um, Cruz just kind of loosely marking him at the far post. That, that just smells disaster. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't Rudiger who marked him. Especially, like, like you said, there really wasn't any other aerial threats. He's the big aerial threat. Um, so then the other thing, too, from that goal is, like, I didn't think it was even a foul in the first place. If you remember, this is the play where Fede Valverde, like, hounds Mafeo, comes sprinting out of nowhere. Um, and he does dive in and make the slide tackle, but he doesn't touch Mafeo. Mafeo jumped over the tackle. And, like, he fell three seconds delayed. It was just a weird play, and I didn't think it should have been a foul. Uh, but at the same point, I guess you could argue with and say, Fede, hey, did you really need to dive in there? You had him. Like, I don't think he needed to go for the slide tackle. He got a yellow for it, too. Uh, um, 
So either way, it was just a weird play it originated from. And then um, after that, it was it was just poor, poor marking. So what I noticed about Fetty in that play and uh, was that if you there was one replay that showed where Fetty starts from, he's on basically the opposite end of the field, high up the pitch, and he sprints diagonally across the field deep and comes over to the left side and tackles Mafeo. And so while it was, you know, maybe I think the foul itself or the attempted tackle was probably bad. The effort was actually really impressive to get there. Um, and now this kind of takes us into discussion about Fede in this game. Plays as a right central midfielder where we all think his best position is. What I like him, uh, What I like about him in this role, Matt, is that he can do all of the things that he does on the right wing from that position. He can carry the ball forward. He can combine with the wingbacks. He can still help defensively on that position. He can carry the ball forward like 40 yards on, he, on the way he did in that insane goal. He can still break lines. He can move into the right half space. He still leaves his mark there. So talk to me about Fede's positioning in this game on the right wing. It makes sense to just put him there. That's his best role. You mean in the middle? Yeah, right center midfielder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, given the options we have, it, it's tough to fit him in. But that is his best position. He says it time and time again. Every time he's interviewed and asked about it, he always stresses that the midfield is his position. So for me, I think at a kind of case in point, for example, what he can bring driving from the middle, in the middle. And that goal was insane. Puskas worthy goal. Goal season worthy. Just unbelievable from Fede Valverde. And uh, I want to see more of it. I want to see more of it. We know he can do that. He's got the shot on him. It feels like they're finally going in now. So just keep doing it, Fede. Keep doing it. With his left. Like, so that that that's the kind of goal you see scored in FIFA. Like, carrying the ball, beating a couple of defenders, Cutting in, and I wasn't sure what he was going to do. I just thought because he had options. I, th I think Vinicius was to his left. I think he was mildly open or at least an option. And I thought maybe because he's been shooting so much and long-distance shooting has been kind of as a last resort in this game where we couldn't break through on so many occasions, so we started to sling it from distance, which I don't hate, but it seemed like a bit of a last resort. I thought maybe because he wasn't shooting as well or at least hitting the mark this season, coming close but not hitting the mark. I thought he might pass it, but he just slings it with his left foot, left foot, and it was an unbelievable goal. Top corner, the way it's just kind of spinning and going top left, it's an unbelievable finish. Regarding breaking down Mallorca's low block, Matt, um, is there anything that you feel we could have done better to do that in the first half? Uh, I think there were a couple things we did well that I wanted us to do see more of. So what those were were more off the ball, so off-ball runs. So think about Fede Valverde's run through the middle where Cruz hit him with the um, lofted kind of central ball that actually bounced off Fede's hip inside the box and then ended with a Rodrigo shot. Then you had late, late, late in the first half Danny Ceballos makes that run inside the box, uh, picks the ball up, one-times it back to, I think it was Fede, um, who had the shot. And so it more it was those types of runs. So late arriving second-man runs from midfield, 
I think those are amazing at breaking down a deep block. So if we could have seen more of that, that would have made a difference. And then um, just finding Rodrigo more because I felt like he was making fantastic off-ball runs the whole game. I was just watching him kind of off off screen, off the ball, and he was just constantly buzzing about that uh, off the back line, like looking to make runs in and out. And he never, there were a lot of times he just didn't see it. He didn't get it. Or the team was like doing little intricate passes, little triangles, and maybe that ball was on. And if we, somebody just picked their head up and played it, uh, he would have been in. So I think just having the recognition of what your attackers are doing in front of you, if they're making those off ball runs, and then the late arriving runs, the second man runs from midfield. If you can do two of those things a little bit more, I think we would have had more success in the first half. These are the games I think you also miss. I mean, you miss Benzema every game. So please take uh, that revolutionary analysis for what it's worth. Um, you want Benzema on the field at all times. But I think in games like this also when you need some intricate movement and link-up play and also the target in the box, like someone who can actually be a presence in the box, you miss him in those games like that. And Hazard's link-up, we're going to talk about Hazard's performance and stuff, but he can't bring that side of things that Benzema brings to the table. Um, obviously, in years past, you would Zidane would just uh, break in case of emergency card, Ramos and Casemiro flying into the box and providing numbers for us to cross into. So, uh, with respect to Hazard, a little bit of a come down from his Celtic performance. What were your thoughts on that? Definite come down. Um, I thought Hazard... Like he looked, he dropped deep. He looked to link up, and he wanted to kind of be the the one guy that, at least when we were doing um, our quick intricate passes in in tight triangles, he would try and turn, and maybe play a little bit more vertical than others, which I liked. But just, I I think he just failed to make an impact. He failed to really put his stamp on the game, and. Sometimes it just felt like he almost got in the way of Vinicius and Rodrigo even. And so there was nobody. I, it almost, I felt tempted during the first half to say, are we better off with maybe even like a Mariano in there? Somebody who would at least make runs off the back line uh, <laughs> and, and try and get in behind because that's nothing. That's something Hazard's never going to do is try and get in behind. At, at least at this point in his career, he's just not going to, he doesn't have the speed to do it. Um, and so I actually really liked what Ancelotti ended up doing with, at the end of the match and just basically playing with Vinicius and Rodrigo up front. Uh, maybe that's an alternative solution, but yeah, it was, I was disappointed in Hazard. I don't know how you feel. Um, Ancelotti said after the game, you know, that, you know, he can, he can put Rodrigo there or Hazard there. He obviously didn't put Hazard, um, as someone to be blamed in the first half. And, and so that's not the reason we couldn't score. It's not, it's not his fault. But I, I think the thing with Hazard too, against Celtic, there was a little bit more space to work with for him. And as intricate as a player as he is, I feel like he's weak on the ball. Like there's so many times where he's trying to shield it or trying to, get that first touch out of his feet and he just loses it or gets challenged or gets rocked. I mean, we saw it in preseason, not that it matters, but a glimpse of it where like every time he had the ball in the box because Benzema didn't play that game as well, right? Um, someone from Barcelona, whether it was Christian or Arujo, would just come and just push him off the ball. 
in in today's game, I thought it was pretty easy for Mayorko to just come over and basically just go in for a 50-50 challenge and dispossess him. And I think he's just a little bit too weak on the ball at this stage of his career when there's that much congestion in to work with. And so that's where I worry. And I think, I don't know necessarily if it's a symptom of Hazard coming off, but what Rodrigo was able, is able to do when he gets the ball in those central positions is that he can actually get the ball out of his feet. He can link up with Vinicius really well from that position. So it is possible that your theory of maybe he could get in the way of those two, it's, it's, it's not inconceivable. Rodrigo in this game, Matt, another game where this is the third game this season now. If he's on the right wing, it does not mean symmetry. Overloading the left, check the heat maps, check the high test. He's either on the left or in central positions. And, and I'm not even just talking about when Hazard left the field and he moved to a central position. I'm talking about like even from the minute minute one. He's basically a, not a right winger. He's he's coming over to the left quite a bit. Um, the goal itself was obviously brilliant. The, the dribble to put get the ball to Vinicius in the box, obviously brilliant. His goal was really interesting too because there's no one like making a run off the ball to drag defenders away for him. There's no one, there's nothing else happening. It's just him and four or five defenders in front of him and he just runs into the box, bamboozles everyone. His last, final action is to fake a shot, cut inside, and finish. Rodrigo's performance. I know you were swooning over him on Twitter. Can you verbalize it for us? I'm swooning. I'm swooning for sure. I mean, he he has he has something. He has something special. Like he just you can feel it. You can sense it. He's got a he's got something about him, and it just feels like every single game now he's gonna do something. He's gonna make something happen. Whether it's the assist, the goal, a pre-assist to create the play, like he's bringing that end production now to his good play, and he's being decisive. He's being he is being one of the go-to guys, and right now he's making it so that it's impossible for Ancelotti to drop him back to the bench again. Like I just see, especially with Benzema out, I don't see how this is the kid that that gets dropped. He's playing way too well. Um, and I'm, I think like you zoom out and you think big picture and you look at like his end of the season last year, he, he exploded last year at the end of the season. This, this isn't all of a sudden now it was at the end of the season last year, he started to explode and now he's taken that confidence. He's taken that good play and he's transitioned it into this season. And so that's, that's, what's exciting. And I think Rodrigo is going to be a special, special player for Real Madrid and somebody that's going to going to be important for us for the next decade, potentially. And him and the connection between him and Vinicius, that's really exciting as well because they look for each other. Even when they're not playing on the same side, they look for each other and they, they combine so well. I think those two Brazilians, it, it's exciting to watch them play. Can I ask you a reactionary question? Do you think... And the fan base made too much of a big deal of not signing a, a right winger. Probably. So far, we look fine. It's early days, obviously. And we keep saying on this podcast, we're living the highs right now. Seven wins from seven, but there will be lows. Um, and when those lows come... It may be because, oh, we're, we have a mounting injuries. We have no one to play right wing, whatever it may be. 
Um, but right now, it looks like the club's decision has been the right one because I don't want anything to stop the progress of Fede or Rodrigo. They're play- they're both playing lights out, and they're able to gobble up all these minutes. That's the case I make. I th- it's not that I would say we don't need more depth. What I'm saying is, if we had signed someone, we might not get the version of Rodrigo you know, because maybe he's rested more. Maybe he doesn't play these minutes like he played today. That's that's my argument. That's my argument against signing someone is exactly that. It's not that I don't think we need depth. If something goes wrong or someone gets injured, it's that I don't want someone taking Rodrigo's minutes that he had today unless they're literally a superstar. That That's the case. Um, also, on that note, who would have thought that we'd be I mean, five, is it five out of five? Yeah, this is game number five. We've won five out of five. Obviously, our Champions League two, game two, that's six out of six. Well, one and a half of these games has been without Benzema. Um, how important has Vinicius's surge been to start this season? I don't. I don't think it can be underestimated. I called him our new franchise play, player, and I. I don't like. I fully believe that statement he is going to be the face of this team if he's not already the face of this team he's the player we're going to build around it's not Benzema I mean Benzema is the next Ballon d'Or he's the best player in the world but we're building this team around Vinicius and he's got this just confidence right now and the audacity to do things that I don't think we would have seen him do even the start of last year like he's just so so confident right now he knows he's better than the player he's going up against he knows he's one of the best players on the pitch um he's you've got this feeling that as long as he gets the chance and he's always going to get a couple chances in any game he's going to score he nearly recreated the betty's goal with alaba today it was near nearly a carbon copy uh his touch just got away from him at the end like he's he's doing all the right things and nobody can stop him. He's just too good that nobody can stop him. Even if you know what he's going to do, he's too good. And it's it's just gonna be as a defender, you know it's gonna be a nightmare day at the office. That Alaba to Vinicius pass over the top, that has the potential. That's like one of the dangerous, most dangerous passes in the world right now. Cause Alaba's so good at it and Vinicius is so good at moving off the ball. And once he gets in that position, he's on a break. It's gonna be hard to stop. Um my only yeah vinicius has been awesome i i said this on twitter it's like especially around that same time where he was basically tooling mafeo in the second half um he reminds me of like why i fell in love with the game as a kid with zidane and figo the hype like roberto carlos the hype that they set for the crowd the talent the fact that football is an art he makes it fun to tune into a game to watch Real Madrid. You know, it's just fun to watch him, and it's just a good reminder when you watch him to see him playing at that level. It's one thing to be a little bit cocky and arrogant and not be able to back it up, but when you're that good, I feel like it's more fun when you're arrogant. Actually, it just kind of adds to your branding. My only concern with him is the stuff he'll provoke, especially like the Pablo Mafeo thing was one thing in the second half. He was completely in his head. The one I was worried about was Canyon Lee. If you remember Canyon Lee with Valencia, Canyon Lee had a couple psychotic moments against us where he was so frustrated, things weren't going his way. He started to kick out. I don't remember who he was fouling, but he was just basically breaking bones. He got a red card against us. Um, 
and that that sequence for Vinicius nutmegs Kanganly, and then instead of passing it to Fede, he just keeps on trying to go back and like just tool him back and forth. Which at that point I was like, all right, I love I love you, Vinicius. I love the way you play, but maybe at that point everyone's like, you're not even playing the game anymore. You're just playing one on one. So maybe you want to pass it out wide to Fede Valverde. I was actually genuinely worried that Kanye Lee might snap and and just do something batshit crazy. I'm glad that, that didn't happen. But that does worry me a little bit. That's kind of... I think Vinicius has a better off-the-field mentality than Neymar in terms of taking care of his body. But I also do worry about Neymar just like kind of over the years broke down because he was the brunt of so many heavy challenges. I mean, it's happened to Hazard now. Poor Hazard, just like someone tries to break him in half every time, every time as soon as he gets it. But yeah, that, that's what I'm worried about, Matt, is just maybe the toll of challenges over the years because he's still so young. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you on that one. I thought it was a little, he just went a little bit over the edge uh, and just took it a little too far on that one. But... Um, would you say this, Keon? That like it's been this there. All these guys, Rodrigo, Vinicius, Valverde, Militao, even like it's coming together for them. They're all starting to enter their peaks right now. They're they've developed nicely. Like, wasn't it worth it? This whole thing, like the frustration we had, Vinicius in the past, even Rodrigo, Militao, like all these guys. They there's been frustration with them growing up but 100% worth it no the one I go back to I mean w- there's so many butterfly effects with everything that happens in football things that are in in our control things that are not in our control and the one I always think about is that this is a horrible thing to say but if Hazard doesn't get injured in 2019 and uh Wait, am I getting the timeline mixed up? No, I think it's, you're right. I think you're on the right track. Yeah, and and then all of a sudden needing Vinicius to step up as a teenager, and then the timing didn't work out for him in that sense. I always wonder, like, I mean, it kind of worked out for us in that sense that we got to see Vinicius, um, basically be our de facto left winger because we had no one else, and then sticking with him through the growing pains. And the finishing, the lack of finishing and the lack of composure in front of goal. And we kept on, we had so many theoretical podcasts, like, is he going to figure this out? Is it, obviously it's too soon to give up on him. Can he take a leap like so many other examples in the past of players who can't finish and then all of a sudden one year they pop and they break the ketchup bottle. Can he, can he do that? And we stuck with it and it's, it's come good now. It's paid dividends. Yeah, 100% it was worth it. The money on Vinicius and Rodrigo was peanuts in hindsight, peanuts. Um, so yeah, well, the, I the saw answers, yes. an, a good stat too was uh, Vinicius' first fifty games took him five. It took him fifty games to score five goals. Now he scored five and five. Yeah, I mean it goes to show you just how how rapid that development and that change has been. And and also, and in conjunction to scoring, just heavily involved in everything. Um, and so I have to look at the numbers again. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but. Rodrigo as well. Rodrigo's. We asked Rodrigo to take a leap this season in order for us to get more help offensively. If we're not going to sign someone, and so far he's looked great. Um, you know, we always said like, is he able to ha- do what he does in the Champions League at that incredible efficiency in like, in like you know being able to score 
a crazy amount of goals and limited amount of minutes, can he replicate that to the league consistently? Because that would help a lot. And so far, he's been really important there too. <clears throat> um, Say what you will about this Mallorca team. They, going into this game, they had only conceded, I think it was three goals. Three goals, yeah. And all from penalty kicks. So, so the fact that we scored four without Benzema is another good sign for this team. Um, I just want to make a note on Cruz as well. Like, if he's going to play the single pivot anchor role, it's games like this that I almost think it makes sense. You don't have to do too much defending in transition. You can hold the ball. You can control it. You get an extra creator from deep. It makes sense. And I think we alluded this to this at the beginning of the podcast, but Mallorca did have that uh, Muriki chance. And they had one early on. It, like I, We had a nice man-to-man press. It broke down kind of, but not really, because I think it would have been offside. This was in the first minute when Muriki tests Courtois. It was a corner, but I think the replay would have showed that if Muriki had scored that, it would have been recalled for offside anyway. So apart from uh, Muriki's goal, um, the other, I mean, this is also, I guess, ties into what we said about Cruz. The other only big chance they had was Antonio Sanchez in the second half, 63rd minute, 0.43 on the XG chart, where we break down on a throw-in, and I think it was Cruz who just kind of fell asleep defending that run, and all of a sudden, Antonio Sanchez has a huge chance right point blank to make a 2-1 for Mallorca in the second half, which would have changed the complexion of this game completely. Um, the other thing I wanted to note re- related to XG is that there's been a few games this season already where we're missing big chances, and that's usually Benzema, but today we had three big chances and we converted all three of them. Um, and that was that was also very important. Obviously, the fourth one is not a good chance. It's just a freak goal by Fede Valverde. So that was that was also important. Where do you want to go from here? Um, did you think? What do you think changed <clears throat> at halftime? Because obviously, we were kind of getting frustrated. The whole of the first half, it took a Fede Valverde wonder goal to kind of bring us back in. But what do you think changed at halftime? Or at least in the second half? I don't think anything changed at halftime. I thought the second half was a continuation of the first half. I think where it actually changed was kind of after the subs, to be honest with you. Um, Let me just take note of when the subs came in. So 58th minute, Nacho and Modric in for Hazard and Mendy. Alaba moved to left back. Uh, Rodrigo went to the central forward position. And then, uh, what was the other one? Well, those were the two. Fede goes to the right wing, obviously. And I think from that point on, it kind of got a little bit better, to be quite honest with you. it And it, I don't think it happened right away either. I'm not saying like those subs came in and it changed immediately. But I think like there's a there's there was a combination of that matt and also the individual brilliance of what rodrigo did to break the lines on the vinicius winning goal and then when it became 2-1 what happened essentially was that for the first time all game mallorca had to play football because they had no choice there was 19 minutes left to salvage something so you either get blown out 5-1 4-1 or you make it 2-2 and i think that's ultimately where the sticking point was. so I, i think it came down to individual brilliance to create the winning goal, fresh legs, 
and Mallorca opening up is, I guess, those three things is what I perceived as the change. Did you see the uh, Asensio video? Yeah. So there's a quote about it after thoughts? the game. Um, Ancelotti said after the game, quote, the reality is that I wanted to make the two changes. We were preparing that if we didn't go ahead 2-1, we'd put Mariano and Asensio in. Vasquez was injured and we only had one window and I didn't think about making that change. Yeah, he's angry. I agree with him. It's normal. It means he wants to play to feel important. In this period, he has been the most affected player in the squad and I take that into account. I totally agree with his anger. Um, end quote. It is what it is. I mean, Asensio knew that this was going to be the case if he decided to stay. The messages were sent before the transfer window and he ended up staying and this was always going to be the case. And, and, and this is also, mind you, while Benzema was injured, you know, I don't think there's going to be many opportunities for him. What I will say, I think maybe there's a case that he could play over Hazard in the, in the pecking order. But even then, you know, it's not like you're choosing between, you know, two superstars at this point. He's, you know, whoever you choose, I don't think it's going to be like this amazing sub to have. But um, he kind of knew, man. He, he knew this is going to be the case. So I don't blame the anger. I don't, I don't judge the anger at all. But I understand the frustration. But we're not surprised. I'm not surprised that he's not playing. Yeah, I think he was particularly affected partly because this is his hometown club. He wants to play against them. Um, he mm. saw rotations in the lineup, maybe thought today was a day to get more minutes. Um, so from that standpoint, obviously you get it. Um, I get the anger. Like every player wants to play. Um, but come on, you got to be professional. You got to be professional at Real Madrid, especially throwing a tantrum like that. We always talk about how there's no prima donnas, no divas in this squad. But if there's anybody who might kind of fall into that category, I feel like Asensio sometimes does. And I think he sometimes thinks he's better than he is. I, I think that's what it comes down to. And honestly, the guys who are playing, Rodrigo, Valverde, Vinicius, like their lights out right now. He can't even touch them. So he would have to, he would have to be. And he had plenty of opportunity last year to to try and keep his spot and, and earn his spot, and he didn't do it. And so now this is the new pecking order, and it's because of who took their chances and who didn't. I also just want to point something about, out about Hazard. He's, he's been incredibly professional through this whole thing off the field. Like, he's never complained. He's everyone in the locker room really vibes with him. And everyone wants him to succeed. And I think that's the case for Asensio, too. But, uh, I, you know, I just thought it would be important to highlight that aspect of, of Hazard as well. And in terms of where and how Ancelotti decides about the playing time, there's could be, there could be a factor there as well to consider. Um, I also just wanted to touch on something before we forget. Rodrigo, uh, I, there's been, you know, when we spoke to Arancha Rodriguez last week, she said that, you know, and I think this is correct, that Hazard is the most similar to Benzema's profile in the link-up aspect of things. But I think while that might be true, 
Rodrigo's still the better false nine for me. That's indisputable. Indisputable. Whether you want to talk about like, oh, well, well, well this player, you know, replicates Benzema a little bit more. So, you know, I don't necessarily care about copy and pasting anyone. I, I, care, I care about being, having the best attack possible. And Rodrigo still to me is, and I stand by what I said. I said, I said it against Celtic uh, that Rodrigo was the better choice. The Hazard army came after me on Twitter because Hazard scored and played well. On incredible, he played really well. But uh, Rodrigo just has a certain comfort level and is still a great link-up player and is a better goal scorer. And right now he's just more confidence and and so it and really honestly it may not matter. You can put you can put Rodrigo on the right, left, middle. He's going to play well in all three positions. He can come off the bench. He'll, he'll help you there, but. Yeah, it's it's just there's no debate to me. Like this is not a debate. Yeah, yeah, and I think at the end of the day, a coach has to find a way to get his best eleven players on the pitch. Yeah, and fit his best eleven players on the pitch. And so, if that means you got to shape shift a little bit and make use of versatile skill like you have with Fede Valverde playing right wing and uh, making other guys kind of move and fit, and if that's what you have to do with Rodrigo, and do it because at the end of the day, you want the best 11 guys out there and the guys that are going to help you win. And I'm taking Rodrigo over Hazard any day of the week right now at this stages of their careers. And so I think one thing is I want to see more of Rodrigo in that position. Like the sample size is really small. So I just want to see it more, but I, I, I think it's going to be an upgrade. And can we, <laughs> I know this is something I had said uh, others of us in like, it's pretty obvious that the plate being removed didn't magically make Hazard super fast or bring him back to his old self again. Like that, I don't know what that myth was, or I remember saying in the preseason, like it's, I get his plates removed and the pains may be gone, but it's been for him, it's been like a burst of speed issue. He doesn't have that same speed that he used to have in that same burst and that agility that made him so good. And I don't think he's getting that back. It, it's gone now. And the plate being removed doesn't really change that. It's not coming back. It's just not. Like, I don't think people understand what they're saying when they say Chelsea Hazard can come back. I don't think they understand that Chelsea Hazard was arguably a top five player in football. He was probably the best player in the Premier League. He he led every single offensive metric you could possibly look up or invent even. Like, he was number one in everything. He was unstoppable. The injuries took a toll. And he's 31 now. And that was four years ago at Chelsea. This is not happening. It's not, he's not coming back. At best, you get like, I don't know, 70 to 80% of him. And even that, I doubt I think he he's in the squad because he has to be because you have to have him because you you are handcuffed to his contract. No one will take him on that can afford him, and you have to use him because he's in the squad. So you just do your best to have him fill in. And I think the best case scenario he's he comes in and does what he did against Celtic, but that's not going to happen every game. It's going to happen situationally, contextually, strength of the opponent, the amount of space that's available, all that stuff. So, yeah. Um, anything else that we didn't discuss? <laughs> uh, 
Um, I guess substitutions besides like the Modric and the Nacho ones, you had Kamavinga and Carvajal late on. Carvajal uh, technically gets an assist for the Rodrigo goal. Kamavinga, I didn't really have much to note on. I don't know. I don't know if you did, but no, not much. Um, I think. Yeah, I don't really have much on, on him. I was also writing the immediate reaction today, so it's possible I missed things on the subs uh, because I was writing, like, you know, in the, first, in the last 20, 25 minutes of the game, I was writing on the website, so I, I don't really have much. Um, I just one note. Rodrigo had seven completed dribbles in this game, and Vinicius had eight. That's the kind of line-breaking you need against low blocks. That's the case for them to play. That's the case for having two dribblers um, on the field. So, Matt, if we have nothing else, one, yeah, I want to do insane. seven completed dribbles and eight for Vinicius. So that's fifteen total. My math is correct. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't. Sometimes <laughs> I'm unclear on how they counted because sometimes you feel like you've seen twenty dribbles, but it's only one. Sometimes it's you've seen one dribble and it's like twenty. But I wouldn't be surprised if like uh, five of Vinicius's dribbles were just not like on Canyon Lee on one sequence, and the other, <laughs> the other like three like in Mafeo on one on Mafeo on one sequence. So we're gonna do patron shoutouts before we wrap it here. I also just want to point everyone's attention to the website on managingmadrid.com. I had, in case you missed it, a interview with a Real Madrid legend, Uli Stelica who is one of the best midfielders in club history. He spoke to me about, he, I mean, he was one of the last signings of Santiago Bernabeu yesterday. He told me stories about him. Camacho, uh, Juanito, Vicente del Bosque, who was his midfield partner. Uh, some politics around the 1981 European Cup final. Some lingering beef with Roberto Carlos and other stuff that I'm probably not remembering. So that's on managingmajor.com right now in addition to all the post-game coverage. We also wanted to give love to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. There's so many of you in there now. We are appreciative of every single one of you. You guys get access to bonus shows like Champions League postgame shows live on Zoom, mailbags, loan trackers, all that stuff that are exclusive only for patrons. And want to give a specific shout out uh, to our $10 plus patrons as follows. By the way, I think, you know, we have Leipzig coming up on Wednesday. I have to figure out how to do that on Zoom because uh, I'll be at that game. So maybe you and I will collaborate. But uh, again, patreon.com slash management for access to those Champions League postgame shows. So shout out to our $10 plus patrons who not only get guaranteed responses to their questions, but also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Way Pairing, Wamik Jamal, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tarek Goktas, Talib Salhab. Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujaiwani, Sumanchu Singh, Sherry Soriol, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Samuli Justin, Samer Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan, Sasib Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odayafari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicolas Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Mowgli, MJ Diego, 
Nelson Masariego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lex, Logan Stahl, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Suntros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Con P, Christian Top, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Armand Gashi, Armando L, Anton Rudenko, Anirud Singh, Ananya Kumar, Alex Thyberg, Al Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin Magrur, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. Thank you guys so much. Also, shout out to Rob Palmer, who gave us a shout out on ESPN on the broadcast tonight. You are a legend. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate the love and for tuning in, Rob. And thank you, Matt. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you uh, tomorrow. I think Lucas and I will record a podcast. So thank you, guys. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, Gid.